Um, I, I, I actually just had a story. Can I tell you a quick testimony real quick? Just real quick. You guys like, who likes God stories? Anybody? Okay. So I was talking with someone the other day, and I was asking her, you know, would she be interested in doing this financial teaching on an ongoing basis? Because I only do two of these a year, the uh, Financial Freedom Seminar, and I, I just know it's not enough for what uh, we want to do in discipling uh, everyone at Rock of Grace in this. And I got to tell you how this came about. Uh, I just love God moments. How many love a good God moment, right? So... She's like, you know, that word gave me the courage to start this business. And what she means is three years ago, I saw her in Chick-fil-A, and she walked past me, and I just saw, like, she had all these plans. So I told her, you got all these plans on your kitchen table, and it's a round kitchen table, and you ready to start that business, and God is going to bless you with a lot of money when you start that business. And she just starts crying, and her husband's crying. I'm almost I'm not crying, but I'm thinking about it. I'm almost crying. And I'm like, man, wow. And so she's like, oh, my gosh, I have this whole plan on my kitchen table to start a financial training ministry. And she started it, and God has really blessed her, and she's helped a lot of people not only get stress-free in their finances. How many of you guys think stress-free is a good idea? Okay. Um, and if you're like, I don't know about that. That sounds too practical. Hey, I have a news for you. If you're not stressed over your finances, you will probably yell less. You say it's a good idea. All right. So God has some good God ideas in the word, and he teaches us to manage it well, our finances. And so more information will coming up on that soon. By the way, it's really cool. Her last name is Wise. Isn't that neat? So she started Wise Financial something. All right. It's not called something. There's another word in there. But anyway, turn in your Bible to Jonah. We have a story. Um, I just almost sound like VeggieTales. We have a story for you. <laughs> right as I said it, I was like, we have a story. <laughs> Any parents out there? And it just, oh, man, kid stuff just comes into my head. All right. Jonah and the big fish. Uh, you know, I'm just excited to share this story with you. Uh, when we were brainstorming a few months back with me and Pastor Andrew and Pastor Dave, we said, what if we say, we call it flannel board stories that you may have, you may have heard wrong. Maybe you didn't realize where the gospel was in the story or where your sin is in the story. And we just want to reread these moments so turn in your Bibles to Jonah, and I'm going to give you a summary, all right? So we're not going to read the whole thing, of course, but I'm going to give you a summary. The Assyrians in Nineveh were an awful people, and those that lived there were considered to be brutal, godless, immoral, totally depraved by the Jewish people, especially to these Hebrew people. They were over there, right? And God saw their sin, and God was about to wipe them out. One of the th reoccurring themes that you'll see this month is that God takes sin seriously. How many of you have heard him say that the last two weeks, right? God takes sin seriously. Now, he provides a solution, but you need to know he takes sin seriously. So he gives us many chances to repent. So Jonah was asked by God to go to Nineveh to preach to them so that they would repent and avoid destruction, that they would find salvation. Now, here's the thing. Jonah didn't believe they deserved salvation. So he was disobedient and instead boarded a ship rebelling against the command of God, and he went to Tarshish. Everybody just pretend you're Sean Connery with me and say Tarshish. Come on, a little bit, little bit, little bit more Sean than that. Here we go. Tarshish. Very good, okay. 
God caused a great storm to come across the boat, and everyone was afraid for their lives. Now, by the way, I don't know, you know, I, when I read the Bible, I like to stop, to slow down, sometimes just to close my eyes and picture how many of you would be afraid, right, with 10 to 20-foot waves about to capsize your boat. So you need to realize this is a real story, this is a real events, and these people are scared out of their minds. It's interesting to note that you may have heard that everyone came to the conclusion to throw Jonah overboard. But you're going to find a lot of gospel truths in here that it was actually Jonah that tells them it was his rebellion, his sin causing them, uh, causing the storm. So he takes ownership of the problem. He says, I'm the one, throw me overboard. Now, isn't it interesting? Everybody else on the ship is a sinner. But he says, I'll, I'm the one. I'll take this blame. They throw him overboard, by the way, and Scripture says that the storm stopped. How many think if you were one of the sailors and this random guy who's not in your team but just boards the ship and he tells you it's his rebellion against God, and you're like, all right, I mean, we already threw a bunch of cargo over. Might as well, it's another 130 pounds or 130 pounds. Wow, just told you my weight. Um, another 200 pounds of a grown man. Uh, <laughs> just said 130 pounds. Andrew finds it really funny because he laughs about my weight often, but I love you. I still love you, brother. Love you. No, I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. So they throw him overboard, right? But he says, it's interesting, the waves stopped. They stopped. Now, guess what happened next? The Lord appointed a great fish, is verse 17, to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days. Now, I want you to understand, this is a real fish. In fact, I got a couple pictures for you because I know you guys are basically just grown children. How many of you guys are just grown children? You like picture books. All right, I see that hand, Larry. I see that hand. See that big whale? Everybody say, that's a big fish. The, the blue whale commonly reaches 95 feet. I mean, at least humor me. At least say, wow. I mean, you guys are all like, I already knew that. 95 feet, right? These are three uh, London double-decker bu buses parked end-to-end -end in front of each other. Look at this. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, Randy. The longest blue whale on record is found to be 110 feet. Come on, everybody say, that's a big fish. Now listen, Jonah, now don't get sarcastic with it, guys. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, Jonah is stuck in there for three days. Guys, that is nasty. That is disgusting. All right, that's stomach acid. That's sea lions. I want you to picture it. Sea lion guts, fish stuff in there, swirling around. Yes, I'm trying to gross you out. Why? Because it's the Bible. It's in the Bible. All right? This is disgusting. And he's in there, and he comes to his senses, and what does the Bible say? He repents. Look at this. Jonah repented of his rebellion towards God, and God causes the whale to spit him out. Now, it's important that you understand God causes the whale to spit him out. God causes the whale to vomit him. Can you imagine that smell being vomited out by a whale? So God gives him a second chance. Jonah obeys the Lord and takes the ship to Nineveh. Everybody say, good idea. He preaches to them. 
But you have to understand. You have to understand. I know Pastor Mark, Pastor Ed has, has, has preached, I'm sure, on this text. As I reread this story, this was no John Piper sermon. This was no three points and a poem and a moving story. He's like, hey, in 40 days, you're all going to die. Good luck with that, right? Seriously, in 40 days, you're all going to die. Very Jonathan Edwards-ish, okay? 40, everybody say, 40 days, you're dead. Don't you just feel inspired? I mean, so Jonah is preaching, but I want you to hear this. The anointing is still on him to preach. Don't you love that God uses you despite you? Despite his bad attitude, despite his uh, cynicism towards those people, and we're going to come back to that idea of cynicism, despite his just crabby attitude, right, they all repent, not some of them, but the Bible says the least to the greatest. God chose not to wipe them out because they truly repented all the way up to the king. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, this is verse 10, God relented of the disaster and that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So even Jesus speaks of this moment in Matthew 12, if you've got your Bibles or if you want to just jot this down. In Matthew 12, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. In multiple points in the Bible, this story is mentioned. You need to know this is not a fairy tale. This is a true story that indicates the truth of the gospel. The Bible says that everyone repented. Look at chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence and the anger, so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, this next part is going to maybe break your heart or maybe drop your jaw. Jonah was disappointed that they repented. Pastor Andrew, that's a strange service. Can you imagine I preach, half of y'all come to the, the altar and give your heart to the Lord. I'm like, oh, come on. Why are you guys coming up here, you know? So he's got a bad attitude. But again, the, the gospel still goes forth. The truth of it. The love of God somehow was communicated even with his cynicism. God changed what they heard. I mean, they heard the truth and they felt the warning and they felt the love of God and repented. After all, it's the, God's word says it's his love that draws us to repentance. So they knew that he was angry at their sin but loved them enough to call them to repentance. And the story ends very abruptly. God supplies Jonah shade from the heat miraculously providing a leaf plant to grow up, right, and give him shade, and then it dies. He has a temper and asks God uh, to just, you know, kill him, kill the plant. And listen what God says to him. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being overnight and perished in a night. 
And should I not pity the people of Nineveh where there's 120,000 people? So Jonah gets upset about tangible things. And God is burdened with eternal things. Let me say that again. Jonah is upset with temporary, tangible conveniences. God is burdened with 120,000 people that are going to spend eternity away from him if they didn't repent. So God is trying to give Jonah his heart. And again, you have to understand, this is a real story. This is not an allegory. It speaks to us about our need for grace 2,000 years after Jesus even talks about it. So because of the book of the Bible tells this giant fish swallowing a man, many have dismissed the book of Jonah as fiction. But 2 Kings 14.25 even mentions Jonah as living during the time of King Jeroboam, about 793 to 753 B.C. Jesus referred to Jonah. We just referenced that from Matthew 12. Unlike other prophetic books, Jonah focuses on the prophet more than the message. You need to hear that. God focuses more on the prophet, more on the messenger than the message. So you need to understand that's where we're going today, that Jonah apparently experienced some trauma in his life. I was reading a book a couple years ago called I Didn't See It Coming by Carrie Newhoff. Excellent book. The first chapter, he talks about when we experience pain and great trauma, the first temptation is cynicism. The first temptation, everybody say that word with me, cynicism. Cynicism. So a man hurts you, you say, well, forget it. I'm never going to trust another man. If your dad hurts you, you say, forget it. I'm never going to trust an older man. If a boss, uh, you know, offends you or hurts you or, or fires you, you say, well, then forget it. I'm never going to work for another boss. You get cynical against an entire group of people. Do you see that temptation? So here's what I think happened. I think Jonah was a good guy who was a Christian who had something very traumatic happen to him. And he became, say it with me, cynical. How many, if we're honest, would just, you don't have to raise your hand, just, just tilt your head a little bit. You've been tempted to be cynical. Maybe you've been hurt or maybe something did not go your way. A prayer was not answered. And now you don't even know if you actually trust God to be genuinely good. And isn't that what Satan wants to do? Convince you that God is not good, that God is keeping good things from you or from others. So Joseph, or Joseph, Jonah has this dilemma. Can God be both just and gracious? Can God be both just and gracious? Because in his flesh... And in his basic understanding of right and wrong, of theology, of evil and good, he says, God, if you're just, you should just wipe them all out. That's what he's thinking. Come on, you should just wipe them all out. I mean, they're an evil people spreading evil. Go ahead and go through with it. Wipe them out. They deserve it. By the way, you're always in a scary place when you think people deserve the punishment coming to them. You're in a very scary place. You've let cynicism take root. So guard your heart against these feelings. Can God become just or be just and gracious? Many times scripture, in Scripture, God tells the leader of Israel to just wipe out, to kill an entire people. And you say, that sounds so harsh 
Jordan, I actually, would you just please preach from the New Testament? Please make me feel better. But when you read the whole Bible, you understand God takes sin seriously. There's a couple reoccurring themes I'm giving you this month that I hope you hear. Right? So we learned last week God takes sin seriously. I don't know, by the way, have you ever felt like you start to see your life through the lens of the Bible a little too much? Right? I mean, have you ever been at the airport, like let's say Cleveland Hopkins, and your flight gets delayed and you want to get on the intercom, you picture it all happening in your head saying, I'm the one, throw me on the tarmac. It's me, it's me, throw me over there. Nobody? Okay, me neither. I just was seeing if that was your perspective in life. So let's go to this story in the New Testament. It's clear God is incredibly gracious. What can we pull away from this story? God is incredibly gracious and loving, while at the same time being perfectly just because he wants everybody to repent. How many were here last week when we talked about Noah? He preached for 120 years. He gives us chance after chance after chance to repent. Look at 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some would count slowness, but he is patient towards you. How many are so thankful that he is so patient? Guys, he is so patient. I've heard so many testimonies over the years where people say, oh, man, it was, it was the 10th person. It was the 20th time that God put someone in my life and, and called me into repentance and to salvation. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.20. This is where we're going to find, start to find ourselves in this story. We are God's ambassador for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For God, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, why would I tie that scripture together? You have to understand, it says God made him sin. God made Jesus sin. God put all the sin of the world on Jesus. Just like Jonah said, throw me overboard. Do you see the gospel yet? Right? So they're all sinners on that boat. They're all sinners on that boat. But Jonah says, I will take the blame. It's only my rebellion. Put all your sin and stress in this moment on me. Throw me overboard. Throw me into the depth of the earth. Right? Look at this. Jonah can't see what we see now. That God's perfect justice and perfect love is only on full display at the cross of Jesus. Can I say that again? Jonah can't see what we see now. In fact, can we all say the rest of that? God's perfect justice and perfect love on full display on the cross of Jesus. You see, God took sin seriously by letting his own son die in your place. If you're listening online or if you're in in person with us today, you need to understand if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, we're going to give you that chance at the end of the sermon. You have the opportunity to look upon Jesus as the one who took all of the blame, all of the punishment for you. All of it. God made him who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was perfect, and he took it all for you. Are you thankful? Right? A few more thoughts on this. God doesn't call perfect people into ministry. I mean, after all, Jonah is a bit dramatic, don't you think? 
thinks Jonah, when you read that, he gets under a shade or under a tree and he's getting too hot. And he's like, oh, Lord, just kill me. Does anybody know anybody melodramatic? Don't touch your wife or your husband right now. Don't be like, don't do that. Don't do that. See that hand? There. There, my dorma. Um, He is like double-minded. Right? He's dramatic. He has flaws. How many of you guys got some flaws? I know, before you get married, you call them quirks. The counselor said they have some quirks. No, they're glaring flaws. Am I right? They call them quirks. They're not quirks. They're glaring flaws. We all have them. And I feel like today, I'm telling you today, I know that I know that I know God is going to call some of you into the ministry. I know it. There's a few of you here today, I know at least one, that you absolutely know God is calling you into the ministry. You've been thinking about it, and today is the day where you say, all right, God's going to spit me out of this, this whale I'm in. I'm in a little misery. I'm in some torture. I, I can't find my, my purpose in life, and it's because you know you're called to ministry. So I don't know where you're at, but I know you're listening, and God's going to call you into ministry. The call of God is without repentance, meaning it will never leave you. Third thing, God is incredibly patient with sinful people. Those in Nineveh and Jonah. The fourth thing, God is judge and we are not. God is judge. Oh man, I wish every Christian in America would get this. God is judge and you are not. Last thing, God wants everyone in his family. I said this about four months ago, and it's a perfect moment to reiterate it. People are not the enemy. They're the mission. People are never the enemy. They're the mission. If you think, well, man, God should just wipe them out. No. You're having a Jonah moment. You're letting your cynicism cause you to believe that someone else's sin is greater than yours. And for some of you, you may think that other sin is worse than, no, it's just more visible maybe than yours. Maybe you've learned to put some makeup on your sin. But we all have sin that needs repented of. And the more you understand the gospel that Jesus died on a wooden cross like that, that it was incredibly painful, that it was a Roman's uh, criminal's death that he took for you, suddenly you will be so ecstatic, you will want everyone to come to repentance. Everyone, come on, everybody say everyone. You won't pray judgment, you'll pray mercy. You won't pray judgment, you will pray repentance. You'll pray words like revival. You'll pray words like, God, give me your compassion. Look at Jonah 4, verse 3. It's commendable, it's awesome that Jonah was praying here like he was praying. But it's a bit of a contrast from Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, where he cried out, Lord, my life is ebbing away. I mean, he's double-minded. In one second, he hates the people. In the next second, he hates the plant. In one second, he hates himself. Right? Believers need to know that God knows every heart and he knows every need better than we know ourselves. He knows all your weaknesses. He knows all your fears. He knows what you worry about. He knows what keeps you up at night. And he still loves you 
despite all of your craziness. Right? He still loves you despite your glaring flaws. He still loves you despite the fact that you you've possibly have let some cynicism get in your heart. He still loves you despite the fact that you're still mad at someone who hurt you 10 years ago. He still loves you. He still loves you. He still loves you. Can I say it again? He still loves you. And he wants you, he wants you to know and to feel his love and to let his love just flush out all that other garbage. And to give you a compassion and a genuine love for people. Again, only at the cross of Jesus do we find the perfect union of truth and love. Of justice and mercy. Only at the cross where Jesus, the Son of God, hangs in your place, do you find the love of God on full display. I mean, he hung there for you. That's grace. That is mercy. He took your place. But Hebrew also calls him the perfect lamb. And that God let his wrath out on sin on Jesus. And justice took place because for God, someone had to die for sin. The wages of sin is death, Romans 3.23. But aren't you glad God provided a way out to let Jesus die in your place? Guys, I had a, a horrible moment. I just, the Holy Spirit reminded me of, this isn't my sermon. And I had this horrible moment this last week where I had to hold down one of the kids in the ER as they had some tests be done. And for some reason, it was just really difficult. I knew it was going to be hard, but it was much, much more difficult than I thought because they did not want to be held down, right, for this CAT scan. And then they had to take 25 images, and they're screaming, and I'm holding him down. And I'm crying, and I look away, and I heard, I felt like I got this revelation that that's why God had to turn his head away. I always thought God had to turn his head away because he couldn't look at sin. That's what I was told, maybe in Bible college or something. But I think God turned his head away because he couldn't bear to see his son in that much pain. God let all the pain that you deserved be put on Jesus. It was so much pain that it broke the heart of Father God. He had to look away. Couldn't even see it taking place. That's how much he loves you. That's the gospel. And Jonah is called to preach the gospel. But the problem is he hates the people he's being asked to preach to. You know you have formed God in your own image when he hates the same people you hate. Read that this last week. I want to say it again. You know you form God in your image instead of letting him form you. When you hate the same people he hates. God does not hate people. He loves people. He loves people so much, for God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only son. It doesn't say, for God so loved my type of people. For God so loved those that think like me. Everybody just shake your head with me. Right? For God, so lo- for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
Now, I felt led to go to Luke 15, turning your Bibles to Luke 15. And I want to read to you something the Lord, I felt like, put on my heart as a connection here. Because sometimes when we read the story of the prodigal son, you've heard me say this before, I actually think that, and it sounds like really presumptuous to say, like, uh, I'm not saying like a header as a mistake. I'm just saying it looks like the story is about the prodigal son, but it is not. It's about the older brother. Everybody say the older brother. Now, why would I say that? One of the things they teach you in Bible college is to read in context. It'd be just like you wouldn't want someone to come into a conversation. They walk into the break room. They hear you say one thing, and then they go out and quote you and, and twist the intent of what you were saying. How many guys would say, I wouldn't like that? Well, Jesus doesn't like that either. So read the whole passage, read the whole sermon that Jesus is giving you, or read the whole chapter, right, So or a few chapters, so you understand context. So I want to give you context for the prodigal son. Right before the prodigal son, we have three things. In fact, in one of the translations, I believe it's ESV, it'll say lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. So I want to tell you, there's a lost coin. This woman loses her coin. She searches all over to find it. She finds it and everyone celebrates. Then he tells another story. It's like the shortest sermon of all time. He says, a man lost his sheep. He went out looking for his sheep. He found his sheep and everyone celebrated. Third story. There's this father. He loses his son. His son asks for inheritance. He runs away disrespecting the father. He spends all the inheritance on, uh, on pleasures and, and women and spends all the wealth wasting it. And he comes back home and he says, I'd rather live with my father where I can at least eat good, right? Go back to my father's house. And the father welcomes him with open arms and everybody celebrated except the older brother. And the older brother says, why did you throw him a party? I've been here all along. Religion is when you work for what the Father has already given you. And it makes you cynical. It makes you think that you deserve something and, no, and somebody else doesn't. But see, we are all, we're all the prodigal. We're all in need of Father God's love and grace. And so in this third story, you have the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then you have the lost son. In the third story, not everybody celebrates. In the third story, you have somebody who wants somebody to get what they deserve. Friend, that's a scary place to be. Even if somebody has really done you wrong, has anybody ever been there? Sometimes you want to pray a David prayer, right? <laughs> get him, God. Take out my enemy. Right? But then the more you read the Bible and the Gospels and you hear Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and then you hear him tell stories like this, you realize, oh, I'm the older brother. I wanted somebody to get what they deserve. 
Instead, what God wants you to do, what God wants you to want, is that people get the grace they don't deserve. Because you didn't either. God wants you to want what he wants. That people will come to repentance. Because God has a big family and he wants everyone in it. God has a big family and he wants everyone in it. You see, again, he feels he deserves God's grace more than others. Let's go back to Jonah. He felt he deserved God's grace and God's gifts, God's blessings, if you will, more than an entire group of people. And if we really look at this, I love the way Tim Keller points this out. It's almost like racism because he said, that's an entire group of people. That culture, they don't deserve. We, uh, we're Hebrew. We're Hebrew. And you got to be careful whenever you draw lines. Are you hearing me, Rock of Grace? Got to be careful when you draw lines. When you say, well, we're in this group and there. No, God wants everyone in the family. God wants everyone to come to repentance. And I believe that for some of you, you, you know there's a Nineveh. Now I'm praying God d- does a work in the heart of every person today. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. And I just feel like God's like accelerating the sermon right now and that we're supposed to pray a little earlier than I intended. I want the prayer team and Pastor Andrew, our pastors, to come forward. They're going to line up on the side and the front. And here's the thing. I want to see God do something deep in the heart of Rock of Grace today. Because here's what I know. God has called us to transform Trumbull for Jesus Christ. How many believe that? How many believe that? Can I give you one of the keys, if maybe the most important key? It's important that we have a plan, that we have discipleship in place called life groups, right? It's important that we have a building. And praise God, God provided a building. It's important that we have a pastor, It's important that we have ministry teams. But do you know what is most important? I'm talking most important, supremely important, is that God would give you a burden for lost people. That God would give you his compassion. Because other than that, if you don't have that, it's just another gathering. If you don't have that, it's just another church building. Friends, we don't need another church building in America. We need a people, a group of people set on fire with the love of God. We need a group of people who are burdened for the lost, that see someone and wonder, I wonder if they know Jesus. We need a group of church members, people who say, oh, yeah, I go to that church. But no, it's not that you just go to that church. It's that you know God is putting in you a love for lost people. This is one of my favorite songs I heard years ago, and I'm going to ask God to put a burden in you and that God would give you a burden just like Isaiah saw, that there would be a, a Nineveh set in your heart. Because suddenly Jonah had a Nineveh, like, I have got to go to Nineveh. Despite his flaws, despite his weaknesses, despite his cynicism, despite his fears of inadequacy. How many of you guys have ever felt inadequate when God asked you to do something? Come on. 
This happens to me every day. We feel inadequate. We make up excuses. Well, God, what about my family history? Well, what about my financial situation? Well, what about, and we make up these things, but God says, listen, all you need is to let me put my heart in your chest. All you need is to let me put my heart in your chest. To where you say like this song, like Isaiah said, here I am, send me, Lord. Can you stand up to your feet? I want you to come forward and receive prayer today. If you want God to give you a burden for lost people, if you want to see God start to do something amazing in your life, I'm not going to count. I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to ask you to just come right now. Find somebody to pray with, and I believe God is going to give you a fresh burden for the lost. A desire to be used by God for this coming revival. Go ahead. Come on up. If you feel like, yeah, you know what? I do want my life to make an impact in the kingdom of God. And they're just going to start praying with you. Father, open our eyes to see what you see. God, open our eyes to see what you see. And if someone's standing there, I ask you to just wait and let, let, uh, let yourself be prayed for because it's a powerful moment when we come together. Lord, do a fresh work in us, God. Do a fresh work in us, Lord. Do a fresh work in us, God. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Pour out your spirit, God. Do what only you can do, Lord. I feel led to do something that I don't think I've done in a few years. For everyone who's still in the chairs, we're going to kind of break our protocol today. You've all just been dubbed into the prayer team. I know, some of you say, I've never been trained. Neither was Matthew, Mark, Peter, Thaddeus, Andrew. They just said yes. So I want you to turn, and I want you to find someone. And I want to do this. I want you to, if you're a guy, find a guy, all right? If you're a girl, find a girl. And I want you to look him in the eyes and say, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask God to do something new in you. you don't, I don't want you to spit. I'm going to train you right now. Don't push him down. Don't spit on him and call it oil. Put your hand on their, on their shoulder to say, can I put my hand on your shoulder? And I want you to pray right now. Say, God, give them your heart for the lost. Go ahead. Simple prayer. God, give them your heart for the lost. Listen, don't leave yet. I know some of you got to go. I see some tears, which is beautiful. And I know so if you're praying, go ahead and keep praying. I just, I want to leave you with this. Where's your Nineveh? I know I lost you all. That's fine. On your way out, if you are, if you're not praying right now and you can hear me, ask God, where's your Nineveh? Who are you called to? Okay? Amen. We'll see you.